You're listening to the Ending Human Trafficking Podcast. This is episode number 250, How to Work with Law Enforcement with Dr. Stephanie Powell. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Welcome to the Ending Human Trafficking Podcast. My name is Dave Stahoviak. And my name is Sandy Morgan. And this is the show where we empower you to study the issues, be a voice, and make a difference in ending human trafficking. Sandy, today's conversation I'm really looking forward to because we have with us an expert who's going to really help us to discover the practical ways to work with law enforcement, as we talk about often on the show, the importance of partnerships across organizations, across agencies. And of course, law enforcement is such a critical partner in all the work we are doing to end human trafficking. I'm so pleased to welcome to our show today, Dr. Stephanie Powell. Stephanie retired from the Los Angeles Police Department as a sergeant in charge of a vice unit. Her unique insight into the world of sexual exploitation and trafficking gained through her 30 years with the Los Angeles Police Department, made her an unparalleled choice to lead Journey Out in 2013, formerly known as the Mary Magdalene Project. Journey Out assists victims of human trafficking in finding their way out of violence and abuse due to sexual exploitation or forced prostitution. In 2020, she joined the National Center on Sexual Exploitation as the Director of Law Enforcement Training and Survivor Services. She is also the Law Enforcement Human Trafficking Training Consultant for the Sail Away Foundation. Dr. Powell, so glad to have you here on our show. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for inviting me. Well, I can hardly wait to to dive into this conversation, and I know our listeners will benefit from your years of experience. We were doing a little pre-show recording talk, and during covid We haven't seen each other very much. And the last time that we were in person was literally at the Human Trafficking Summit in the White House. So I just say that because I want you all to know what a rock star we have on our show today. So, Stephanie, let's start talking about what are the keys to training your peers around the unique issues related to human trafficking and especially sexual exploitation. You're like the guru of law enforcement training. You know, thank you so very much. And um, I, I think the key is when members of law enforcement are able to connect the dots, meaning that not only is it happening to the people they serve, but to perfectly understand that this could be their family member as well. So giving them the human side of of this, because usually when I'm doing a presentation with law enforcement and I start talking about the fact that this could be their daughter or their granddaughter or grandson or son, they are on the phone during the break, either calling that daughter or son at uh, that's away in college are calling their wives and telling them all the ins and outs of what they've learned. And so I think when when there's a relationship or they can identify personally, 
I believe that it gives them more of a push. The other aspect, I think, is when you're working with law enforcement, there's so much scrutiny, you know, especially now with the feeling that, you know, some people really aren't in support of them. And so when you're in front of them, training them, they're looking to see, is, is this person judging me? Are they just assuming I'm doing the wrong thing? Do they understand that I'm really just here to, to learn? I may even know a little bit about it, but I'm here to learn a little bit more. And I think that by myself coming from law enforcement, making the same mistakes that they have as a result of not knowing becomes the key of them, you know, actually listening. And I know they're listening because they're asking me, you know, a lot of questions. So I, I think those are the those are the key. So I love how you focus in on mistakes because I learn really well from mistakes. So 30 years, you didn't just automatically know and understand what to do when you began to identify human trafficking. So what was your process in coming to the human trafficking table? So I, I laugh not because it's funny, but I laugh because I look back at what the stuff I didn't know and the mistakes that I made. Law enforcement's come a long way. I retired in 2013. And since 2013, I see a more victim-centered approach across the nation because I worked vice from 08 to about 13. We kind of knew there was this thing called human trafficking, but honestly, we were thinking, you know, cargo ship or coming across the border. We weren't thinking domestic. We were thinking international. What we didn't realize is that we were really working with it every day. For everyone we arrested for prostitution and they talked about a pimp, we were dealing with a victim of human trafficking. And at that time, also remember, we were arresting children. So the youngest I arrested for the crime of prostitution was a 12-year-old. When I look back on that, I kind of cringe. But I got to tell you this story, Sandy, because this, this just kind of wraps it up. Where you know, we were, um, Vice works undercover. So we're working undercover, and we see that the fire department is putting out a fire in one of those, you know, those little shopping centers, right? And it looked like it was above a, like a, a nondescript type of store. So we, being nosy, we, we, we stop and we go like, hey, what's going on? They said, well, there's a small fire up in the attic where there's some people where a mattress was set on fire. So while we're standing there, we're watching these people come out of the building some have mattresses, some have, you know, stuff in bags and they're not speaking English. And keep in mind, it's like two o'clock in the morning. And we just watch them walk down the street and we wave by. And, and in the back of my head, I'm thinking, I wonder if this is a human trafficking thing. Like it's not connecting. Had I known then what I know now, we would have been able to find support for those people because clearly you had 15 people stuffed in an attic and I did not connect the dots. And I think because of that, you know, it gives me kind of a cringe factor that I find that it is so important for law enforcement to be trained because if we, we miss the signs, if they miss the red flags, my goodness, imagine their cringe factor of people that they could have helped. And now 
since there's this connection with nonprofits and law enforcement, the tools and resources are there. See, they weren't there for me then, so that's why I didn't know. And even if I had known, I wouldn't have known who to call. So I think that was part of it, not knowing who to call, but being in such a much better situation. And even when I do training and I start talking about sex trafficking victims and labor trafficking victims, you could tell the light bulb will go on going like, oh my God, I had a case like that. So the the, the training is important. And you've already brought in how important community partners are. And you went straight from retirement, well, you didn't retire, to (laughs) journey out. And journey out is positioned to work alongside law enforcement. Tell us how that works. And what are the success factors that we need for it to work well? Well, it's all about relationships. You know, and, and we build relationships. I have a relationship with you which has given me this opportunity to speak to you today. Or if I have an issue, I know I can call Sandy. That same relationship has to be built between the nonprofits and law enforcement. And they're really easy to be built as long as you build it on a foundation of trust. Because nonprofits have one agenda sometimes. It's to, well, not sometimes, they advocacy is to protect their client, right? Mm. The victim that they're serving. Law enforcement, they're out to catch the bad guys. So sometimes it may look like two separate agendas, but they really are the same. And so when you build that trust and have that lead as your foundation, the rest will come to fruition. An example of this would be If you have a victim of human trafficking and that victim wants to make a police report, you have the ability now because you built that foundation to speak to someone either in the vice unit or someone that is is working with victims in some capacity and call and say, hey, Frank or, or Jane, this is what I have. And so because Frank or Jane has built a relationship with you, they're going to really go overboard to help you. But when they call you and say, hey, I need to interview Jane because we have the suspect in custody, and then you start to hide that person or you start to badmouth the police to them, you've broken that trust. Mm. So the trust has to go both ways. When you do that, I can't begin to tell you what a perfect cocktail that, so to speak, that you've made. And I'll just give you an example really quick. I, when I first led Journey out, I saw that that was a gap. But coming from law enforcement and interesting enough, working with Journey out as a sergeant and sending people that I was not taking to jail, sending them to, to Journey out, which was the Mary Magdalene Project for services, I, I just saw the value in it. And so I got a phone call from L.A. Sheriff's and they said, hey, we have a girl who needs to be placed. She was thrown out of a car and she was an adult and she's made a police report. But nobody wants to place her in the residential facilities because gang members are looking for. So I'm thinking to myself, bring her on. I I don't care about the gang members. Bring her on. So we, we brought her in and it was such an interesting dynamic 
to watch her relationship with law enforcement because she felt that they cared enough to put her in a place that she was going to be safe and that our organization cared enough to make sure that when she went to court, there was an advocate that was going to be there that rode right alongside that sheriff to take her to court. And she often would say, you know what? She says, I didn't have faith in law enforcement until this happened to me. And she calls that sheriff who is now retired. She calls him to this day and he will call her just to see how she's doing. So I just, I hope I'm not taking too much of your time with these examples, but I just think that they're so important for people to see that it really does work. It works well for law enforcement because that person sees that they care. It works great for the, the nonprofit because now law enforcement starts to send you people in order to help make this person whole. So it's, it goes back to it takes a village. Wow. I love that story, too, because it illustrates people over programs and we have to be victim centered. We have to think that this is an individual, a real person. Wow. We could talk uh, just about that part for the rest <laughs> of our half hour, but I've got a few more questions. Yes. I, I'm particularly interested in how you've translated your ex expertise, experience, into helping organizations with policy change by educating them. And so I'd like to understand how you did that, particularly with the LA Fire Department and the National Massage School Industry. It's like, what? I, I just need more information, Stephanie. Oh, great. So I'll start with Fire Department. I started to realize that uh, we've done a great job in terms of educating law enforcement and even emergency room doctors. The entity that I don't think has gotten enough training on is fire department. We forget about them because we think they only put out fires. But remember, the ambulance is connected to them as well. And I read a study through uh, Arizona, I think it was Arizona State, ASU, and they did a study on fire departments, and human trafficking. And what it said was that out of all the first responders, that the fire department would be the one that would be the first point of contact of someone that was in captivity, whether it be labor or sex. And so I was like, bingo, they need to be trained. So I made uh, contact with the Los Angeles City Fire, and they allowed me to train their entire fire department. And it was an eye opener to them. The bells and whistles were going off of how many times that they released, did they meet someone that was out on a prostitution track that had been hurt. And then this person come up and say that they were their uncle or they were their daddy. And they released that person to the person claiming to be a relative. And they thought, how many times did I just release that person to their pimp? And again, they were thinking, my God, this could have been my daughter. It was such a light bulb experience. And then I started getting calls where they were actually running into this nights after the training and said, I saw the signs. 
and I did something different. So I encourage everyone who is out there to make sure that their fire department is in the loop as it pertains to human trafficking. When it comes to the massage industry, especially the massage schools, what I was realizing as a vice sergeant was that when we would go to these illicit massage establishments, because there's a difference between them and your real ones, I call them, because the, the illicit ones are brothels. What I will notice is on the wall, they would have a certification from a massage therapy school. What I later found out was that there was a point where these illicit massage owners were able to go to some of these massage schools and actually buy a certificate of completion. I am now on the board of the California Massage Therapy Council. And so they monitor to ensure that these schools are actually giving the training and people are passing the state requirements as opposed to somebody just walking in and buying a certificate. Again, when you match law enforcement to organizations such as these, they have it set up where law enforcement can call and, and anywhere in the state and say, hey, I've got this certificate number, I got this person's name, are they really certified? Because if they're not, law enforcement can, can shut them down based on not having the proper uh, credentials and license. I love learning about that. I'm going to be checking into my local area and find out what our policies are. And policy is a powerful tool in addressing human trafficking. Let's let's move into a prevention conversation. Stephanie, you have done it all. The <laughs> law enforcement, prosecution, the protection for victims and the policy in and even prevention. So I want my listeners to understand more about especially working with young people. You wrote a, a workbook, My Choice, My Body, My Rules. So talk to us about the principles in that workbook. Yes, thank you so much. You know, I think prevention is, is, is so important and education, right? And so before I was a police officer, see, when you're 150 years old, you can navigate through all these different careers. But I was a school teacher for LA Unified before I became a police really? officer. Really? Oh my goodness, that's so cool. So because of, of, of that training and I'm a, 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 an adjunct assistant professor also. So because of my education background, I knew that AB 1227 had just come out a few years ago. And what that is, is a state law that says that the schools have to train on human trafficking prevention once in middle school, once in high school. So I was thinking, wow, what if I come up with a workbook to be able to help facilitate and being help schools be in compliance of AB 1227? So the way I configured this particular workbook it has a workbook and a facilitator guide. The facilitator guide kind of acts as a train the trainer so that uh, you don't have to be an expert in human trafficking to help young people work through the workbook itself. And the workbook is one that is not solely, it's for human trafficking prevention, but the basis of it is setting boundaries, having high self-esteem, high self-worth, 
Because if you don't have that, it makes you vulnerable for a trafficker. So it's built upon that type of foundation. Also in it is an advocacy tool that is age appropriate. Because once, you know, kids learn about this, I want them too to be able to get out there and know how to write letters to the to their uh, legislation. What can they do in order to raise money for their local nonprofit? So it's all age appropriate. So there's an advocacy toolkit for, for kids. There's space in there for kids to write in you know, journal entries about self-worth. And it's geared toward both labor and sex trafficking for both boys and girls. Wow. How do we find that? So it is on Amazon. And you can also contact me. I'm on LinkedIn under Stephanie Powell. And you can reach out to me because you could either get it through me personally, especially if you're buying in bulk, it'll be cheaper or you get it right through Amazon. Wow. I can hardly wait to um, get that in my hands. Okay. So the question as we were prepping for this show that is really on your heart is about demand. And I would like to understand how training and education, particularly from the perspective of law enforcement, impacts your work on the issue of demand reduction. Well, so, you know, it kind of goes back to, you know, in law enforcement, the one thing, and and I'll I'll say me in in particular, but it's, it's happening everywhere. We focus so much on the um, prostituted individuals as opposed to the person that's buying them. And and because the bottom line is the whole issue of of prostitution really is a human rights issue. And so when a person is allowed to buy another or a person is allowed to think of someone um, as a commodity or as an object, it can lead to to violence of that individual. And so I think more emphasis needs to be placed on demand. More people need to to be arrested for buying others. And as a result of that, one of the things that we have in LA County, we have an actual John school because on the street, customers of prostitution are called Johns. And so when Johns are arrested, they have to go to, um, well, it's a diversion program. They're offered the ability to go to John school. They have to pay. It's a one day, all day school. And part of their payment will go to a nonprofit in their area. Some of the classes deal with sex addiction. They have someone that comes, they actually have a survivor of human trafficking come in and talk to them. They have a psychologist that comes in and talks about sexual addiction and pornography addiction. And so I just think that that is so important. The other aspect of this and the position that I now hold at the National Center on Sexual Exploitation in COSI, we're really focusing on demand and educating not only the public, but law enforcement of the importance of going after the demand and how going after demand is a key component of ending a human trafficking. So I just read an article from New York, I think Manhattan, and they are now not arresting people for prostitution. 
And, you know, on the surface, I'm like, yeah, that's great because I don't want a victim to be criminalized. As I read further into the article, though, I discovered that eventually the steps towards this would also decriminalize the purchaser and the seller. So how does that impact your work on the issue of demand if if there's no law enforcement role in in addressing that? So there's there's partial decrim, which means that it would just they would not arrest the prostituted person, but they would arrest the buyers and the sellers, meaning the the uh, traffickers and the johns. And then there's full decrim, which would make that prostitution would be legal and, you know, nobody would be arrested. It's to my understanding, because there's some talk about that particular article that Manhattan is saying, no, we were, it's misquoted, that they just are not going to arrest the prostituted, but they are going to continue to arrest the buyers and the sellers. So hopefully that part is true because you're absolutely right. If it becomes completely legal, law enforcement has no reason to make arrest. So if they have no reason to make arrest, that could possibly mean that they're not paying attention to the issue at all, which that puts minors now in danger because human trafficking would still be against the law, right? Under all of that, human trafficking is against the law. And so how many times have we seen an illegal system operate under a legal system because no one is paying attention. And so that becomes the danger. It gets driven further underground and it leaves our uh, minors, uh, our minor victims of human trafficking vulnerable as well as our adults, right? Our adult victims of human trafficking will not be seen and identified because nobody's paying attention. And let me just make this caveat. I interviewed women that were in the brothel system in a couple of counties in Nevada. And when I listened to them being victims of of torture, sexual assault, emotional abuse, if I were to close my eyes and listen to their trauma and and them living traumatic events, it was no different than when I was at Journey Out and what I do now listening to survivors in an Ill, in an illegal system. So regardless of whether it's a legal or illegal system, the trauma is still there. It's a human rights issue. And I think that's what people really need to understand. The trauma that this puts someone through, even if they don't realize it. You hear so many survivors that say, I didn't realize how impacted I was by trauma until I got out of the life. And it was then that I saw it. Dr. Stephanie Powell, you are a powerhouse. I follow you. I learn from you. There are more conversations that we need to have. Last question, and then we're going to sign off. Where do you see the anti-human trafficking movement needing to go next? I think we need to put a lot of emphasis on the victims that are under reporting 
meaning the, the, our boys and our, and our men that are victims, the LGBTQ community. I think we need to, we meaning um, nonprofit organizations need to pay close attention to that and believe them in, in their stories. I also believe that we really need to pay attention to this whole issue of, of full decrim and, and really examine the, the Nordic and equality model, because with that, it, it provides services for people that want to get out of the life, regardless of whether they're there by force or because it just became a life that they led for whatever reason. So I, I really think that that's where we need to go and continue to educate the public for prevention. All of that together will help us to end this thing. Thank you so much for being on our show today, Stephanie. I just can't wait till we can be back in person. Yes, I, I look forward to you. Thank you so much for doing this and your contribution that you've made to this issue. Stephanie and Sandy, thank you so much for this conversation. Uh, so much I learned that's been helpful in thinking about what's next. And we are inviting you to take the first step if you haven't already. Please take a moment to hop online and download a copy of Sandy's guide, The Five Things You Must Know, A Quick Start Guide to Ending Human Trafficking. It'll teach you the five critical things that Sandy's identified that you should know before you join the fight against trafficking. You can get access to it by going over to endinghumantrafficking.org. That is also where we'll have details and links and all of the good work that Stephanie's doing, uh, including the Amazon link and LinkedIn and all of the resources mentioned today. In addition, when you go over to endinghumantrafficking.org, that's the place to find out more about the Anti-Human Trafficking Certificate Program here at Vanguard University. For more details, endinghumantrafficking.org. And we will be back with you in two weeks. Thanks, Sandy. Thank you, Dave. Take care, everyone.